Welcome to Pursuit Church Mornington Podcast with Pastor Brian Carden. The message you're about to hear will help you build your faith in Christ and grow in the knowledge of His will. Let's go right into the message. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. It's a cool name. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Today, I'm going to be ministering a word on the evidence of his grace, the evidence of God's grace. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for every single person right now at the sound of my voice. I thank you for the word of God that is ministered. I thank you that people will understand the purpose of your grace, that it enables us to do your will as we partner with it by faith. I thank you, God, that you have given us a special endowment, a grace that we didn't earn, we didn't get through works, but it was given to us as a free gift that empowers us to live and to do your will. We thank you right now for faith will be in this room to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. We've been talking about multiplication for the past five weeks at the start of this year. And today I will be ending that series, but that theme will go with us throughout the year as we preach and minister on other words. Um, I will be starting something new next week, but today is the last sermon of that sermon series. And you can catch all of these on YouTube and on podcasts. And podcasts, you literally just, if you have an iPhone, it's already there. You just go to Pursuit Church Warrington on the podcast app and you can download it. You can do it on Android, I believe, as well now. Um, you can go to the website, and you can find podcasts, and they'll take you that way, and you can listen to it through the website. So it's important to listen to these messages because this is where the heart of our church is at the, at the moment. It's important for you to feed on where you are planted at. Can I get amen? It's okay to listen to other preachers. It's okay to listen to other podcasts and messages, but it's important as being part of a body because you're part of Pursuit Church is to receive from what God is ministering out of the heart of this church. Can I get an Amen. So, the Bible says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for by my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, God has graced you to fulfill his purpose, and his will for your life. I hope you caught what I said. I said his purpose and his will. See, we are sometimes pursuing after our purpose and our will, and we get this twisted because we sometimes align ourselves with the system of this world. The Bible says that you are in this world, but you are not of this world, meaning you live and act according to the word of God or to the kingdom of God, which is opposing to the kingdom of darkness. You're part of a different kingdom if you have given your life to Jesus. 
If you so have made that decision that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, can I tell you that you are no longer a slave to this world then? Meaning that you don't subject yourself or put yourself under submission to the authority and the reign of the enemy. No, you subject yourself and submit yourself to the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? Well, that means that your nature has changed. Now, you might not feel that because you have something what the Bible calls a flesh. That's a carnal mind. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that you have to renew this carnal man to the spirit of God through the word of God. And this is a daily thing. The Bible says that Paul crucified his flesh daily. You got to die daily. And you do this through the word of God, through the water of his word that will purify your soul. And only then through that are you able to live according to God's will and purpose. So God has graced you. Now, what is grace? Well, grace is mentioned 125 times in the Bible. In 16 out of the 21 epistles, it begins with grace be unto you. There are four kinds of grace. The first type is a saving grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, but it is the gift of God, not a result of works that no man may boast. So salvation is a gift from God, and it comes through his grace. But it comes when you believe by faith in what he has done. Can I get an amen? So this grace you didn't earn, but it was a free gift given by God to you. Listen to this. You do not get good to get God. You get God to get good. That's about as plain as I can make it. We must think of it this way. We can think of water flowing through a water hose, which is faith, the hose. And the water, which is grace, is the important part. But it is communicated through the hose. The hose does not quench your thirst. The water does. But the hose brings the water to the place you can benefit from it. Today, as you have faith in God and in that grace, you begin to feel the effects of it. You begin to see the evidence of it within your life. There's this another type of grace. It's the second one, justifying grace. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 says, And you are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified literally means this, justified never sinned in God's eyes. When you sin and confess that sin and walk away from that sin and change your actions, then that's when God's grace covers you and justifies you in the eyes of God. Hence what I said, when you confess that sin and walk away from that sin and change your actions, that grace covers you. See, you can't think that you can live any way you want to because you don't understand grace because grace empowers you to live differently. It takes you out from where you are and causes you to be where God has purposed you to be. So this is why we can't stay the same. This is why you can't stay in that same nature according to the flesh and live out of that. This is why the way you talk changes, the way you think changes, the way you live changes. It's because of his grace that empowers you and enables you to live according to his word. 
So how do you know if grace is working in your life? And if you have come to the understanding and revelation of that grace, your life is transforming. The third type of grace is teaching grace. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to everyone. It instructs us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. We're talking about grace here. To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You may have heard people say, I'm under grace. I can do whatever I want to. I can do whatever I like. I can drink a little bit, smoke a little bit, cuss a little bit. I'm under grace. But the reality is grace begins to teach you how to live a holy and consecrated life. You don't hear much about holiness anymore. See, grace teaches you. It's just like a mentor and a student. The student thinks he knows it all, but when he gets around the mentor that actually has all the experience and knows a lot more, he begins to learn and grow. But he must come to a place where he recognizes a mentor can speak into his life, and so he has to allow pride and all that arrogance, that puff up is what the Bible talks about, and he has to submit himself to the will and the knowledge and the authority of that mentor. And this is what happens as men and women of God. You have submitted yourself to him. You have recognized that you can't do this alone. You can't live holy alone. You can't live upright alone. You can't just do it on your own. And if you try to do it on your own, you know that you are incapable of because your life will be constantly going back and forth, living in sin, out of sin, always feeling guilty, always feeling shameful, always feeling like you're not doing the right thing. It's because you haven't rightly applied or appropriated the grace of God within your life. Grace is God's part. Faith is your part. See, If what you have isn't making you want to be more like Jesus, you have religion and not Jesus. Grace will give you the power to walk away from who you used to be. And it will cause you to be what he has called and purposed you to be. Grace teaches us how to honor God with our life. There's a fourth type of grace. This is Enabling grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So three times, God, or Paul asked God to remove this thorn, but God didn't take the thorn away. No, he used it to help him overcome And how did he do this? He used his grace. God gave him grace to help him overcome every trial and thing he was up against. See, God has given you grace to overcome your obstacles and trials that you are facing. He's given you grace. He's enabled you. What does that mean? That means that your ability can only go so far. You have limits. But the Bible says that with God, all things are possible. With men, there's a lot of things that are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. 
So it comes to a point where you understand that you can't do it on your own. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us come boldly to the throne room of grace that we may find mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So this throne of grace, where is this at? It's in him. You got to get to the Father. Do you hear me? You got to get to the Father. You won't get it from anywhere else. You can't just get it from going to church every once in a while. You can't just get it from listening to a really inspiring message. No, it comes from giving your life to him. It comes from every day. Because have you tried doing the other way? Yeah, you probably felt good for a week. Man, maybe you felt good for a month, but then you fall right back into it. You have to be consistent. You have to commit to the process. And we like to make reason and make excuses of why we can't. But this is a level of your heart that you have to grow and to change into. You got to grow up. You got to mature. Because there are people out there that need to know Jesus Christ. And how can you minister to them and show them that same grace that's been given to you if you are not working and living in it? It will be difficult. See, there is a place where God's grace will come on you. And it will enable you and empower you to do his will to overcome. See, when we go back to Zechariah 4, in verse 6, it said, This is the word of the Lord, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. That word might focuses on a collective strength. This is the resources of a group or an army. The word power focuses on individual strength. God says, not by the resources of many or one, but by my spirit. It will not be by your wittiness or cleverness. It will not be by your ability. It will, be not, it will not be by your physical strength that this temple will be rebuilt, but by the spirit of God. See, God... Or Zechariah set, prophesied and said that this temple is going to be rebuilt. This is the word of the Lord. And you're not going to be able to do it on your own, but it's going to be through the spirit of God. It won't be by your might. It won't be all by all these people that are here, this collective group. Can I tell you that we're not going to be able to do what God has purposed us to do as a church just alone by ourselves, just by just this body. And he said, not by your power, nor by power, which is your individual strength, you won't be able to do it by yourself, but by my spirit. Now, but by my spirit means this. Oil is a good representation of the Holy Spirit. Oil lubricates when used for that purpose. There is little friction and wear among those who are lubricated by the Spirit of God. Oil heals. They used it as a medicinal treatment in the Bible. See, the Spirit of God brings healing and restoration. Oil lights when it's burned in a lamp, and where the Spirit of God is, there is light. Oil warms when it is used as full fuel for a flame, and where the Spirit of God is, there is warmth and comfort. 
Oil invigorates when used to massage. The Holy Spirit invigorates us for his service. Oil adorns when applied as a perfume. The Holy Spirit adorns us and makes us more pleasant to be around. Can I get an amen? Oil polishes when used to shine metal. The Holy Spirit wipes away our grime, smoothing out our rough edges. So today, you might got a couple of rough edges. But the Holy Spirit, the oil, the Bible says the oil of gladness. That oil will smooth out those rough edges. He said, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. That spirit is the breath or the ruach of the Lord, which worked, listen to this, in creation. In Genesis chapter 1, it worked at the Red Sea to open it and to close it. And in Ezekiel, it gave life to the dead bones. That same spirit or the ruach worked in those moments, it will work today for you. I don't think you're as excited as I am. You can do more with God than without. When Zerubbabel began to build, it says that in verse 7, this is Zerubbabel, who are you, O great mountain? Now, this mountain doesn't necessarily mean a mountain that's in front of him, but it could be a spiritual sense where something, you know, because you got to remember that when they started this process of building the temple, they actually had to stop. If you read Ezra chapter 4, you can see where they were beginning to build the temple. Ezra chapter 4, you can spend some time studying that. And they basically, the king made a decree that they had to stop. Said, you can't do it anymore. Stop. And then after the decree... 16 years later, they were able to build because of what he said. He said that you'll be able to build it in the day or the first reign of, I think it was the first year of King Cyprus. And when they began to build again, the king heard about it. And he said, who said they could do this? And they had to go through all the documents and files to find out where the last king said that they were able to build again after the 16 years. And they found it, and what ended up happening, that they ended up paying for the temple to be built. They took care of it from the king's treasury. Isn't that amazing? They were stopped, but then they were allowed. But it goes from this prophecy right here, because it says right here, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. It says this mountain, whatever, it could be a spiritual attack that he was dealing with. It could have been the grief and the sorrow of having to stop. He started something, but now he had to stop. You know, he had a whole bunch of people helping him work, but now they can't do what they needed to do. See, the work of rebuilding the temple was so massive, it seemed like a great mountain. Can I tell you that the work within your life sometimes will seem like a great mountain? It would seem like, man, you're constantly having to battle. You're constantly having to do the same thing more than once. You're constantly having to deal with the same weakness, the same physical, spiritual, mental things that attack you. And you're constantly feeling dominated and bound up. But see, God, he's saying today that those mountains, those things that you're facing, will be made plain. They will be made smooth. See, God has promised that by his spirit, that great mountain will be leveled into a plain. Zerubbabel said, who is this mountain? 
he was speaking to the mountain. We know in Mark chapter 11 that Jesus told the disciples to speak to the mountain, and it shall be what? Removed. You got to speak God's word. See, mountain represent, mountains represent problems that come to defeat you. When the mountain came, he didn't fear and let it intimidate him, but he spoke to it. When mountains come, you don't live in fear and intimidation. No, you rise up in your place of position, man and woman of God, knowing who you are, knowing that you are a new creature in Christ Jesus, knowing that God's will and purpose is working in your life, that the power that's inside of you raised the very body of Jesus from the dead. So you don't live in fear and intimidation, no. You speak, and this is what Jesus says to do. See, because when God gets through with you or the mountain, he will make it smooth. You'll see it dissolve. There's a scripture, I believe, in Psalms that says that mountains will melt like wax in the presence of our, in the presence of the enemy, in the presence of our enemies. So this is like us. You start out good. Zerubbabel started out good. They started building. You started out, but then you begin to face something that you can't seem to shake off or beat. And it begins to tell you to give up, to quit. You're done. How are you going to get through this? You're just going to make the same mistake as last time. This is what this mountain will do. And if you're not careful, you will allow it to be the voice in your life that you focus on. You will literally allow it to be the thing that causes you or motivates you to live your life from that place. And you'll live from that place. And can I tell you, when you live from a place of that, that's when you'll compromise. That's when you will constantly live defeated. That's when you will constantly live beat up, and you will feel like a failure. You will feel like you are not good enough, that you can't achieve what God's purpose you to achieve. But can I tell you today that you serve a God that is for you. You serve a God that loves you. You serve a God that has a plan for you. You are part of a church. Can I tell you that God's vision and plan for this church, enemy may come against us, but it doesn't matter because there's a vision that God has started in this house. And God is saying that I started it and I'm going to continue with it. It started maybe with a different group of people, but I'm continuing it with a new group of people. Those people that labored and that sowed and that put seed into the ground, can I tell you that you're seeing the harvest of it today? That's what we believe right now. We believe that this year is a year of multiplication from the seas and from the time and from the labor from the men and women that have been part of this church. And we are seeing the harvest of it. We are seeing salvation. We are seeing people's lives change. We are seeing committed disciples. We are seeing education. We are seeing financial breakthrough. This is what you are a part of. See, if you will just hold out and begin to speak God's word to it, things are going to smooth out for you. See, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He was frustrated, Zerubbabel, but God sent a prophet that encouraged him and said, thus says the Lord, begin again. And the Lord is saying this morning, begin again. It's time to begin again. Arise, O sleeper. Those weak, feeble knees, strengthen them up. Get up, stand strong but you won't be able to do it on your own. 
It's my grace that will enable you, that will empower you to do it. You need to believe again. You need to reach out again. You need to hope again. You need to trust again. You need to dream again. You need to praise again. See, God will finish what he started. We can easily look at what we don't have and the inabilities and the unqualifications and all that. That's easy. That's what the world does. But no, we're going to look unto the Lord. We're going to see his grace operate and work in our lives. And it happens through faith. And then the next part, it says this. And ye shall bring forward the top stone amid and do, sh- and s- let me read a different translation because I want you to hear it in our language. It says, Zerubbabel sets the final stone, and when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, grace, grace. When it says the headstone, the headstone is the final stone in the project. It's like cutting the ribbon and you got the last stone, and you put it in the building project, and that finishes it. It is a stone that completes the building. But see, in this moment, all that Zerubbabel had was a foundation. But the prophet is telling him, grab the headstone right now. He knew that the building wasn't done. They were far from it. But he helped him to begin to believe again in what God has spoken. See, that stone represents Jesus Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. And when you get focused on the stone who is Jesus, when you fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, can I tell you that you are able to begin again? You are able to build what God has started. You are able to build what God has put in you. You are able to do exactly what God has purposed and willed for his church to do. See, God is calling you to focus on him, and you do this when you partner with his grace. See, when the work is done through human might or power, you get the credit, right? A lot of you have done some phenomenal things. You've done great things, and you get the credit for it. You got awards, medals, you got certificates, maybe you got a plaque on your wall. That was because of your might. And your power. But see, when the work is done by continually supply of the Spirit, that is all glory to God. It's all glory to His grace. It's about Him. See, you know what it feels like to stand in an incomplete building. Every single one of us knows that feeling. What it feels like to stand in something that's uncompleted. And I believe that God is saying, build again. Build it. Now, I see this in three ways. I see it at the individual level, your own personal family, your own personal life, your own personal vision and what God's purpose and called you to. Then I see it for the corporate vision of the church. God is saying, build again. You're a part of something. It's for his house. It's for this region to be affected because there is a church that is pursuing after the vision of God that he has given to this region, and we are going to see his word multiplied and increase in this region. Can I get an amen? And then communal, it affects the whole community. It literally will cause men and women, teenagers and children 
to see the effects of his grace, to see the evidence of his grace. See, when you know you have a vision from God, obstacles are going to come. But you cannot allow the mountain to talk you out of what is God called you to do. But you got to do what Zerubbabel did. He shouted. He said, grace, grace. I can imagine when the prophet told him this, the Zerubbabel probably was at a place where you've been at before. Very similar, where you just had your head down. You didn't feel like saying grace, grace. You don't feel like believing again. You don't feel like hoping again. Because you've done it multiple times, what's going to be different about this time? And I guarantee you that Zerubbabel probably didn't shout grace, grace the first time. Maybe he's like, grace, grace, grace. Look, they're human. They're, they're people just like us. It's hard to think that they did exactly what they said. I mean, we know that they don't because you see in the Bible that God show, or the Bible shows low lights and highlights of their lives. They made mistakes. So if you have a picture of him, he did exactly the right thing. He probably didn't at first. He had to get to that point within his heart. It's kind of like you got to stir yourself up. you got to get to that place. Have you ever prayed and gotten the presence of God and you just didn't feel it that day? But you got to stay in it. you got to get yourself in that place. I've been like that before. I'll be praying for 20 minutes. I'm like, Mary God, I don't feel this at all. And that's fine. I'll leave and I'll come back later on. But I got to get in that place. Zerubbabel got into that place and he shouted with that stone. <laughs> Let's think that this is the stone. The project's not finished. What God's purpose this church to do is not finished. Can I tell you that? What God's purpose you is not finished. Get this stone the finished product, because you already know, you have the vision, you have the picture in your mind, you know exactly it. You shout, grace, grace. See, you need to begin to say grace, grace over your family. You need to begin to see grace, grace over your job. You need to begin to say grace, grace over your church. You need to begin to see, say grace, grace over this region. You need to begin to say grace, grace over your dreams, over your life, over what God has put in your heart. Because I'm telling you right now, it is faith that enacts the grace of God within your life. See, God can only do so much, but it's going to take you believing in him. That's how you got saved. That's how you came to this Savior and received all that he had for you was through faith in what he has done. See, God has enabled you through his grace to fulfill and to do and to live out his purpose on this life. But it is going to begin to start with you saying, grace, grace. See, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly all that we ask for or think according to the power at work within us. His power is working in you. If you're sick in your body today, the power of God is working in you. Believe it. Receive it. Stand on it. Shout grace, grace to it. And then the next part says this. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this house. His hands shall be also the ones that complete it. God started something with you, he's going to finish it with you. He's not going to give it to somebody else because he's purposed and his will is for you to do it. God has purposed this church to build. 
God has given a vision to this house. I don't know if you understand it. You, you are not just in familiar territory. I mean, God sent people from America all across the country to come here. It wasn't just a good idea. It was a God idea. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. It was like, oh, let's just go to, you know, another awesome, amazing country that's just like us, and let's go start a church. They got money. We don't have to go to, you know, we don't have to go somewhere that doesn't have money. We don't have to go to Ethiopia. We get to go to somewhere nice. God purposed and called us here. We didn't come here with a business plan. We didn't come here with a strategy. We didn't necessarily spy out the land and see what we had and what it had to offer us and if it was a good place and a good location. No, we came out here because the vision and the word of the Lord that was given to our pastors, and you're a part of that. You're a part of that vision. See, when you connect and partner yourself with it, and know that you can't do it through your own ability. And you're not supposed to. It's through his ability. It says that the hands that started it will be the same hands that finish it. And I believe that's true for you and for this house. And then the next part, it says this. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. Another translation says this. Do not despise these small beginnings. Don't despise the small beginnings. God uses small beginnings. God takes what is small and makes it big. See, when the work is done by God's Spirit, there's not only His resources to begin the work, but also enough to finish the work. See, God is the one who finishes His work. He who started a good work and you will complete it, Philippians 1 Verse 6, for who has despised the day of small things? See, Zechariah's question is something that I believe that we all ask. Almost every one of us could answer, I have despised the day of small things. And this question provides its own answer. None of us should despise the day of small things because God has a plan or a perfect plan and purpose for those times. See, it was a long day for Zerubbabel because the work of the temple laid in ruins for almost 20 years. And you know, he might have said to God, what do you mean the day of small things? I've lived the 20 years of small things. Even so, God told Zerubbabel to not despise the time of small things, but to consider it all as just a day. He's saying, Take those 20 years or what makes up almost 20 years, just see it as a day. Don't despise it. That's pretty hard to hear, huh? In many of God's choice workers, he used a powerful season of small things. Moses, Abraham, Noah, David. I mean, we can go throughout the Bible of people that didn't have much. And God used barely little what they had, and he put his spirit or his grace in it. And it caused to be a lot more than what they were able to do. Can I get an amen? See, God accepts your little work if it's done in faith. God will educate you. God will enable you. God will cause those little works to become greater works. And your little works will show unto others and will bring others to what you are doing. 
See, God, people will see what God is doing in your life. They will see the evidence of it. They'll see the evidence of it. And it will bring people around you. And you can show them the goodness and the grace of God that you have so accepted it within your life and chosen to live by. Thank you for listening to today. If you are wanting more of these timely messages and teachings, go to our website at Pursuit Church Mornington to find all the other ways you can access Pursuit Church ministry and messages.